Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, welcome to the first Sunday of Advent. Our Advent series this year is called Christmas Clothes. Now, with a title like that, you might think that I'm like some sort of fashionista, that I would come up with an entire series on clothing. But honestly, I'm a fashion simpleton. Like, if I like it, I'll wear it. I'm not into the trends. I've never wanted to be a, a designer. Like, I just, you know, like, okay, I just want something nice to wear. And, and that's about where it ends. Maybe you are like that. Maybe you don't think about clothes all that often. And yet the reality is you probably think about clothes way more than you realize. Like, you think about clothes every day. Now, maybe that's because you wish you were a fashion designer. But even if you're like me, a fashion simpleton, you still think about what you're going to wear, considering the weather, considering your schedule, what will be comfortable, what do you like. You, you put thought into this probably way more than you realize. And so I have bad news for you. Christmas makes it way worse. I, already today, I've seen a number of people wearing Christmas gear it, it seems that clothes have really become a part of this holiday. When I was a kid growing up, I, there, there wasn't a whole lot. Uh, you know, like I might get a shirt, maybe some socks for Christmas. But I, I just didn't think about clothes and Christmas being tied together. Easter was the holiday about clothes. Like I always got a new shirt or a new tie. You know, girls got a new spring dress. But Christmas, it was just a wonderful, beautiful winter holiday to get together with family. Nowadays, there is all this pressure to have the right clothing. For instance, you have to pick the right clothes for the family photo that you're going to be sending out in the family picture. Yes. Is the Schaefer family not absolutely adorable? I wish they were actually in here so I could uh, embarrass them. Uh, but they're, they're serving back in kids today. But yeah, the, the, you, you got to have the clothing set so you can have the photo to send out in the letter. Then there's the matching pajamas. Poor Austin looks absolutely miserable in this. Yes, I, I raided Facebook this week, uh, so get ready. Your picture may be coming up. Or you end up with this, the Santa hat, the buffalo plaid. This is uh, pre-Izzy. This is when they actually got sleep. Uh, they, they look nice and happy and young there. And then some families, they dress up for Christmas Eve. Pavlix, you guys were cute five years ago. Uh, yeah, that, that awesome. Right? But guys, I'm just getting started. This is like the normal Christmas stuff. Have you noticed how bonkers it's gotten? I mean, first of all, there's the crazy t-shirts where you get, you know, funny, humorous. Oh, I'm sorry. I also forgot. There's those weird churches that want to do ugly sweater Sundays. Uh, by, the, by the way, uh, I do have a sweater this year. Uh, I apologize, it will be a distraction. Um, not because it's ugly, but because it's awesome. Uh, all right, but there, there are many cultures, I mean, many places in our culture where it's all about the funny t-shirt uh, that, that you wear. I mean, there, there are literally thousands upon thousands upon thousands of, of holiday designs. Nowadays, you can actually go and get an entire Christmas suit. I mean, Roman is walking around today with, with one of these. Uh-huh, yeah. Some people are going, that's awesome. Other people are, you know, trying to not, you know, have something come up. You know, and, and then, of course, you could always go and get the Star Trek Christmas shirt. 
Yeah, that's awful. That is just absolutely uh, uh, atrocious. I'm sorry, if you're a Trekkie, you may want it, but uh, that, that you would not find me. See, I may not be a fashionista, but I at least have enough taste not to wear that. Uh, but you may not think about clothes all that much, and, and yet it just seems that the clothing has just invaded this entire holiday. Well, I recently discovered that I didn't think about clothing much when it came to Scripture. To, to my faith. And yet, it turns out that clothing is all over in the Bible. Probably more than you realize. If you're familiar with the scriptures, just take a moment and think, what stories might you know of that include clothing? Right now, some of you are probably thinking of Joseph and his coat of many colors. We're going to actually talk about that one in two weeks. Some of you, maybe you're thinking of, of Jesus's tunic that the soldiers gambled over as Jesus is hanging on the cross. Or there's the story of, of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and the soldiers show up and they kind of start to not just arrest Jesus, but there's a, a little bit of a, a, a rabble happening and, and they end up grabbing John's tunic and he, he slips out of his robe and runs off naked. Or, or you could even go to Ephesians chapter 6. Some translations say, put on the armor of God, but others say, clothe yourselves with the armor of God. Clothing is all over in the Bible. It, which kind of makes sense because if you and I think about what we're going to wear every day, it'd be natural that them, just these ancient humans, would also be thinking about clothing. They rarely, though, were thinking, oh, what should I wear today? They were thinking, what clothing am I going to get for next year? Because they only had one, two, maybe three items of clothing. But they always had to worry, like, when this one wears out, will God provide another? But there's something else about some of the items of clothing mentioned in Scripture. I believe many of these point to a deeper reality, that, that, that point us to, to faith, that point us to Jesus, that point us to the gospel. That's the point of this series that as we, you know, think about Christmas and the clothing we wear, that, that we see scripturally that some of these clothing items actually point to a wonderful, beautiful spiritual truth that I think might enhance your worship this Advent. So, to kick this off, it only makes sense to go to the very first clothing God ever made that's found in the book of Genesis. So if you brought a Bible today, I invite you to open it up to Genesis chapter 2. We're going to be in a couple of verses in chapter 2 and a couple of verses in chapter 3. So you're going to want to keep your Bibles open for a, a while. If you're not sure where Genesis is, it is the very first book of the Bible. So just open up to the very beginning, navigate to chapter 2, and uh, get ready. So as we get ready to uh, read, I'm going to set the stage a little bit. But before I do, I want to pray. Heavenly Father, uh, as we now come to uh, your word, uh, these words that you wrote so, so, so long ago, I pray that you would make them relevant today. That uh, some of us, we've come today because it's just what we do. Some of us are here because uh, uh, there, there was just something in us that desired to, to be here. Some of us were here just simply because of an invitation. Some of us were, were here just out of duty. Lord, whatever the reason that, that we are connecting with, with you through this today, I pray that you would teach you would be the one who opens your scriptures, that opens your heart, that opens your, your, uh, the, the eyes of your people so that they might see who you are and what you've done for them because you love them. So Lord, I just pray that this would not be about what I have prepared to say, but ultimately it'd be about what you want to say to these people because they're yours. You know them 
You love them. You know their stories. You know their fears. You know their, their victories of this past week. You know their, their weaknesses. And Lord, I believe that you want to speak to them today. And so I pray that the things that we hear would help us to become the people you call us to be so that we truly will live like Jesus lived and love like Jesus loved. And it's in his precious name we pray. Amen. So Genesis chapter 1 starts with the words, in the beginning. Chapter 1 is the creation account of God creating the stars, land, water, the platypus. Basically creating everything there is. But the way chapter 1 approaches it is it does it in prose. It's, it's a bit like a poem. You, you kind of, as you read it, you start getting a sense of the, the rhythm in it. But then interestingly enough, when you get to chapter 2, right after the, the part where it says that God rested on the seventh day, it, it begins to, to kick off the creation account again. It's just rather than this time it, it doing it in prose form, it does it in narrative form. And it focuses primarily upon the creation of Adam and Eve. Well, when God creates Adam, but before he's created Eve, God has a little conversation with Adam. It's there in chapter 2. Go down to verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in, that, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, I have heard some skeptics, some non-Christians, even heard a few Christians complain about these verses. Because it seems cruel that God would create a tree that they can't eat. Like, if he doesn't want them to eat it, just don't create it, God. Don't, don't put it in the garden. Like, it, it seems cruel for him to dangle it there in front of them. Like, hey, you can eat of anything else, but not this one. Don't touch this one. Like, it, it's like God's setting them up for failure. But I want you to stop and think about the relationship between the divine and mankind. That is often called religion. As you think of various religions, so many of them have rule upon rule upon rule upon rule of what the human must do to appease the God. And yet, in this case, God only gives one. Honestly, that doesn't sound all that cruel. God just says, hey, everything's yours. Just not this one. The reason God can set up a, a system of religion where there's only one rule, one command, is because the relationship is perfect between God and man. God put his image into this man he, he, he created him and to be in relationship, and that relationship was perfect. So they didn't need a bunch of rules. This is actually a beautiful, harmonious relationship. It was absolutely perfect. But not only was the relationship between Adam and God perfect, when God creates Eve, that relationship is also perfect. And we kind of see that indicated in the last verse of chapter 2. Skip down to verse 25. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Their nakedness 
was a sign of their innocence, of their purity, of their unity. Their relationship was absolutely perfect. And so you have a perfect horizontal relationship between humans and a perfect vertical relationship with God. But then tragedy strikes. As you get into chapter 3, you see Eve begin having this conversation with a serpent. Now there's debate whether or not it's actually a serpent or most scholars believe it's, it's Satan speaking through a serpent or maybe it's just Satan himself and there was no better description for him. But it seems that Satan has this conversation with Eve and tricks her, gets her to doubt. And that's when we see this happen. Down in chapter 3, look down at verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight in the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. We don't know how much time had passed between this event in verse 6 and, and their creation back in chapter 2. Maybe they'd been around for a couple centuries. Maybe it'd been a couple years. Maybe it was just a couple of hours. We, we don't know. All we know is that Satan tricks them, deceives Eve. She eats and hands the fruit over to her husband and he eats. And when their teeth sink into the skin of that fruit, they are plunged into sin. Suddenly they go from before the fruit, being able to walk with God, to suddenly in verse 8, we see that they are now hiding from God. That, that before the fruit, they, they were filled with joy, awe, wonder. After the bite, they're filled with embarrassment. Regret, shame. Before the fruit, they, they lived in such unity and wonder. They, they, they were lived in innocence and purity. Afterwards, their nakedness was a sign of their shame. Everything changed in that moment. Just take a moment and imagine You've never experienced regret. You've never experienced sadness. You've never been angry. Never even angry with yourself. Imagine what those first emotions would have felt like. In their shame, as they suddenly are aware of their nakedness and ashamed of it, they seek to hide. They seek to hide from one another. We see there in verse 7 that they begin to take fig leaves and, and figure out some sort of way to sew them together to, to cover up their parts. But even that didn't work because when God shows up in verse 8, we see them trying to run off and hide. They're filled with so much shame. And the way they try to cover up that shame is with clothing. Now, when God shows up, he begins to just let them know, hey, hey, guys, Here's the consequences of your actions. 
here's the, the result of it. And basically, everything's going to be hard. Work will be hard. Childbirth will be hard. Marriage will be hard. Life will be hard. But then after talking, God stops talking and does something very interesting. Look there in chapter 3 and go down to verse 21. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. God adds to his creative portfolio. It goes from creating stars and starfish to creating clothing. But, but wait a second, Aaron. I, I thought they were already clothed. Haven't they put together some fig leaves? Yeah, but clearly God is saying, yeah, those weren't good enough. Why? Remember back in chapter 2, verse 17, God told Adam, hey, if you eat of this fruit, you will die. Now, I, I've had some people say, whoa, God must have been wrong because they, they didn't die. But actually, they did. The, the first way they died was they died spiritually. When, when Adam and Eve were created, God did not create them as just an animated sack of bones. Like they were made with the image of God. They, they had a, a spirit, soul. They, they, they had a personhood. And, and so they were in this relationship with the creator, the giver, the sustainer of life. And now that's been broken. And we especially see that brokenness when in verse 8, God shows up and they're hiding. Rather than running to their loving creator, they're trying to hide from him. Because they're no longer spiritually alive in union with the giver of life. It's broken and they have now spiritually died. This is why in Ephesians chapter 2, the apostle Paul, when writing to the church in Ephesus, says in verse 1 and verse 4, that you are dead in your sins and trespasses. Every human born since Adam and Eve has been born in sin except Christ. We'll talk about that in a moment. But after that, everyone is born spiritually dead. They died in that moment at the core of who they are. Now, you are correct in that they did not die immediately physically. But they did begin to die the slow descent to physical death. Again, think about it. If you are in relationship with the sustainer of life, the, the, the creator of it, then he can always sustain you. And, and you will live then eternally. But to have that relationship broken means you now begin to die. And sure enough, eventually Adam and Eve did breathe their last and were no more. But they were originally created to live forever. And so they did die. It's just that they died spiritually on that day and died physically at another time. However, something did die that day physically. Look again at verse 21. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Most translations have their, this word, garments of skin. Now, this does not mean they were walking around as just a bunch of muscle and tendons and scaring off little animals. All right? 
it means God clothes them. The, the word skin there could be translated animal hide. God covers them with animal skin. But let me ask you, where did God get that skin? He, he killed an animal. The, the reason Adam and Eve's fig clothes were not appropriate, they were not enough, is because the penalty for sin was pain and blood and death. They couldn't just pluck off a few leaves to try to hide themselves. Something died. God is a God of justice. And when he says, here is how it will be, that is how it will be. And so justice was served. But he's also a God of mercy. He loves Adam and Eve. He loves you. He doesn't want you. He didn't want them to pay that penalty in that moment. And so he allows the penalty that was set for them to be transferred over to these animals. Now that, that in a sense, was an, a, a loving act. Because not only has God allowing them to live, I mean, if anyone had the right to exact, you know, the, the death penalty in that moment, God had that right. They bear his image, they're his creation, they've disobeyed. But out of his mercy, he lets them continue to live spiritually. And yet he clothes them because he doesn't kick them out of the garden naked where they're suddenly exposed to everything. This is an act of love. He doesn't send them out with their fig leaves because those weren't going to last. These animal hides would last way longer. But he also sends them out covered in these animal hides because that was the reminder of their sin and his mercy. Because everywhere they go, anytime they would look down and see their clothes, anytime they'd put those things on, it was a reminder. Something died in their place and they're now covered with that animal's skin. Now here is the beautiful spiritual parallel. This whole entire story in Genesis 3 points to the events of the cross. Jesus did not come at Christmas so that we could tell a nice little story about a baby. He didn't come at Christmas so that we have an excuse to pull out some nice clothes. He didn't come at Christmas so we have an excuse to decorate. He didn't come so we could have an excuse to give one another presents. He didn't come so he could dress up and, and have a candlelight service. He came to die. Christmas is absolutely meaningless without the events of Good Friday and Easter. You get rid of Good Friday and Easter, Christmas is just another day. What makes Christmas a celebration is that Jesus went to a cross and died. And like the animal in Genesis 3, he died in your place. This is why the Apostle Paul, and I should have put this verse on the screen. I apologize that I didn't. But in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, Paul is writing to this church in Corinth. And he says that he who was without sin, referring to Jesus, the only human to have never sinned, he who was without sin became sin for us. Think about that for a second. Jesus had no sin. And yet, just as he took on human flesh, it was like he took the sins of the world upon him. And by doing so, the wrath of God could come completely and perfectly against sin, killing it and defeating it. So that you and I could be free. 
2 Corinthians 5.21 goes on to say that not only did he who was without sin become sin for us, it says it was so that we might become the righteousness of God. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you have put your faith in him, if you have made this story the central part of who you are, then you are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Just as Adam and Eve were covered by the skin of that which died for them, you are covered in the righteousness of the one who died for you. Those are your true clothes. And they're not clothes just to wear during Advent and the Christmas season. This is your clothing to wear every day. And it changes everything. Last Friday night, I was uh, in Dyke for a robotics meet. Um, I was there to support my, my son who's on the robotics team, my, my wife who's the robotics coach, but I also couldn't help myself. Many of you know that I lead a Bible study for the Wartburg wrestlers and they had a home duel that night. And so I pulled up Wartburg's night vision on my phone. And so whenever Zion was there, I'm fully paying attention, but as soon as the robot was done, I'm back on my phone to watch. It was a close one. Wartburg only won 40 to three. Uh, but I, I remember watching the guys wrestled really, really, really well. But I'm, I'm going to tell you about one of them. Uh, Mo and Dean is the 197 pounder for Warburg. Uh, if you were to meet Mo, if, if he walked in here, I, I think Mo's actually a little shorter than me. Right? And yet he weighs 197. I mean, the dude is just built. Last Tuesday, I, I watched him in the, pra uh, the practice room. And he was just absolutely destroying his teammate. I mean, they're supposed to be, you know, battling each other, you know, going hard, working on takedowns. And yet, it just looked like, you know, Moe's just, it'd be like me against a three-year-old. You know, I, I, he was just, he was just destroying. And the other kid's actually a really, really, really great, great guy. But if you were to meet Moe, he is mild-mannered, big smile, super nice guy. You would never think that this guy's a killer. And yet, he walked onto that mat Friday night. The whistle went off, and within moments, his opponent is taken down and is on his back. Mo, tech fall, that means you win by 15 points or more. Tech fall his guy before the end of the first period. I mean, just absolute domination. If he walked in here, you wouldn't be thinking like, oh, man. No, you'd be thinking, like, that's such a nice guy. He's like a big teddy bear. But he puts on the singlet, and it's like he becomes someone else. He becomes this competitor. So many of you, you live your life like you're wearing fig leaves. You think you look nice, but it's not enough. What you need to realize is God has put on the singlet of righteousness. You are to wear this, and you are to then go out. You are changed because of Christ. That is who you are called to be. That is how you are called to live. Jesus isn't supposed to be just some little add-on. You've heard the phrase, clothes make the man. Jesus makes you. So go and live for Christ. Let this become your reality because he died for you. So if you are not a follower of Jesus, the invitation is there. Give your life to him. He's already done everything needed and necessary. All he asks you to do is to surrender, to humbly lay it down before him, 
to realize that he really came down as a baby, took on human flesh, lived a sinless life, but he went to the cross to die in your place. And what he offers you is his righteousness. So today, will you accept his covering? Will you accept his skin? Will you let that become your clothes this Christmas? Heavenly Father, I just pray right now for uh, the, the person that is, is doing that, whether they're here in person, they're, they're connected with us online, or listening to the podcast. Something is telling them that this is all true, that, that what happened for Adam and Eve with this animal, we see done even a bigger, more fulfilling way through Christ. And so I pray right now for the person that is, is surrendering their life to you. Father, hear them right now as they pray. As they, as they confess their sin, as they, they admit their need for you, as they, they give it to, to you. And Lord, as they give their sin and unrighteousness to you, may they accept your righteousness. May they realize that down at the core of who they are, you are covering them with your righteousness, with your beauty, with your forgiveness, with your power, with your presence, with your love, with your grace. And let that become their reality. Father, I, I believe you can change us from the inside out. Forgive us for the times that we've tried to act like Adam and Eve. We've tried to work on things outwardly. We've reached for our own little fig leaves. Whereas you want to clothe us with something more substantial, something more real, something more lasting. So Father, I pray that we would surrender and come to you. and We would let your righteousness be the identity of us. Jesus, we say thank you. Thank you that you willingly came. No one forced you to that cross. You willingly laid your life down <laughs> so that you could then take it back up. Jesus, we are so thankful that you died in our place, that it was us who deserved that punishment, yet you absorbed it, you took it, and yet you couldn't stay dead. We don't have to just think of some historical figure. We can follow and worship a living Savior. So we say thank you for that. But Lord, we don't always live that out. And so I pray you would help us today, tomorrow, this Christmas season, into the next year, that we would live out the righteousness of Christ. Because as we do so, it will be such a blessing to those around us. I believe our greatest joy will be found in you, not in our sin. That our greatest satisfaction will be found in Christ and not in the things of this world. So Lord, help us right now to accept who you are, what you've done, and let that become the, I, the center and core of our identity so that we would go live like Jesus lived and love like Jesus loved. Father, would you please do this for your glory and for our joy. And it's in Jesus' precious name we pray and say amen. So, perfect opportunity to respond, to say thank you to Jesus for what he's done, to, to realize that he has given you his righteousness, that you are covered by his grace, then, then to go to the communion table and so as you go and you take those elements, as you take that bread, realizing that represents Jesus' body broken for you, as you pull back that tab and you drink that juice, realizing that represents his blood, which was shed for the forgiveness of your sins, as you take that into you, realize that at the core of who you are, if you follow Jesus, you are righteous. You are a saint. 
now ask the Holy Spirit to empower you to live out that reality. That it wouldn't just be something we talk about on Sunday mornings, but it's something we live out on Sunday afternoon. It's not just something we think about in the morning when we read our Bible, but it's something that we live out at work and at school and on our teams and in our clubs. That this becomes who we are and we would leave knowing we are dressed, we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. So at any time during this next song, feel free to go to the elements if you are a follower of Jesus. Even if this is your first time here with us, we celebrate an open table. We believe this table is for all who proclaim the name of Christ. But if you are here today and you are not a follower of Jesus, we're just going to ask that you respectfully not come. No one here is going to judge you, think less of you. We just know that Jesus died, and, and this is a big deal. And so we don't want you trying to put on a lie. This would be like you trying to put on fig leaves. And more important, have the conversation with God. Is the story real? And if it is, don't worry about these elements. Instead, focus on him. Focus on Christ. Spend this song praying, talking to God. And if the Holy Spirit convinces you that it's real, then give your life to him and let today become your spiritual birthday. But if you've had that spiritual birthday, whether it was a week ago, a year ago, 10 years ago, whenever it was, come. Because you've been clothed in the righteousness of Christ. May you celebrate that as we remember what he did for us. So let us go now to the table and do this in remembrance of him.